welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. This is the podcast where I talk about what I've been reading lately. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared, as always, for spoilers. In this episode, I'm talking about a sequel. Technically. It's not necessary to have read the first book. If you're curious about what I'm talking about, I covered The Hero and the Crown in episode 7 of this podcast, and that's the book that technically precedes this one. I say technically because it was published like a year or two after this one. In this episode, we are talking about The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley. The Blue Sword was first published in 1982. I borrowed an ebook copy from the library and read it in November of 2020. Our author, Robin McKinley, was born in 1952 and has written or contributed to over 20 books. She won a Newbery Honor for this book in 1983. There's not a lot of recent information to find about Robin McKinley. She seems to have stepped back from having an internet presence a couple of years ago, and that's the most recent news I could find about her. Here is the summary of The Blue Sword. This is the story of Korlath, golden-eyed king of the free hill folk, son of the sons of the Lady Erin. And this is the story of Harry Crewe, the homelander orphan girl who became Harimad Sol, king's rider, and heir to the blue sword Gontoran, that no woman had wielded since the Lady Erin herself bore it into battle. And this is the song of the Kalar of the Hill Folk, the magic of the blood, the weaver of destinies. As I said earlier, I read and reviewed another McKinley book in this world, The Hero and the Crown, which is a prequel to this book but was written after. I finally found the time to read The Blue Sword. I was curious what it would be like reading it in the chronological order rather than the published order. I think it was fine. I can't go back and try it the other way now, though I kind of wish I could. I won't bother picking a favorite between the two of them. They're both very good books, and I enjoyed them a lot. The Hero and the Crown was a fantasy book, through and through, with dragons and magical artifacts. The Blue Sword actually starts more like a historical fiction, with our main character Harry traveling by train. There are also multiple references to Christianity. Christmas is celebrated, and there's even a mention of the Mark of Cain. Why is there Christianity in your fantasy novel, McKinley? Is this my world? Is that what you're telling me? Is Homeland just a poorly disguised England? I wouldn't be surprised. I think this comes up in other fantasy books written around this time, or the author just references Christmas as a holiday and never explains it. I can't think of another example of it, so maybe I'm just making it up? I don't know. Have you seen Christmas referenced in other fantasy novels? Please tell me. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Anyway, confused questions about Christianity aside, Harry, our main character, is not like the other girls. It could be much worse. McKinley actually does a pretty good job of giving Harry female friends and connections with other women. I find it a failing of writing and imagination when an author decides that women must be divided into girly and not girly, with the narrative almost always telling us that not girly is better. 
that a woman has to pretend to be a man or be interested in quote unquote manlike things in order to be a strong person and to have a a complete narrative arc. That's not that's not what McKinley is trying to do here. But I see it so much that it's difficult to see anywhere now. Harry is at loose ends. She's living on the charity of a family friend who is the commander of a border outpost. Her father died recently, and she's not allowed to stay home and run the estate because she's a girl. Harry is a little wild. She's fond of exploring and adventuring, but what really puts a wall between her and the other people where she lives is that she loves the desert and the hills around them in this border outpost. Everyone else tolerates their location, focusing instead on improving their social standing with the people around them. Harry, on the other hand, tolerates the social standing games and loves the location. There are some politics going on. The Homelanders, and Homeland is the inventive name of Harry's country, have been colonizing this land for a while. Their borders are mostly settled now. To the west are the ancient hills of Damar, and to the north is the North. I don't think it ever gets a name. The North and Damar have been at odds basically forever. We actually saw this in The Hero and the Crown. Unlike in The Hero and the Crown, the Damarians are no longer a united country. Instead, they are split into clans, and they wander the hills and meet very seldom. However, the new king, Korlath, has been bringing clans together, and Korlath crosses into Homeland to ask them for a mutually beneficial arrangement. For Homeland and the Damarian hillfolk to form an alliance against the threat of the demon king in the north. This first historic meeting between Homeland and the king of the hillfolk does not go well. The Homeland representatives try to use this as a way to gradually take control of Damar, saying they would be the ones completely in control of the army, instead of treating it like a cooperative act between nations. As Korlath justifiably storms out of the meeting, he encounters Harry returning from horse ride, and they make significant eye contact. Something is going to happen there, probably. So, um, Korlath kidnaps Harry. This is obviously bad. Korlath knows it's bad. The reason we are given is that Korlath, like many kings of Damar, has what is called Kalar. It's magic? Like I said before, Damar has decentralized, and one of the consequences of this is that a lot of their knowledge has been lost. They know many effects of Kalar, how they can start fires or make guns misfire, but occasionally Kalar is stronger and mysterious. Korlath, for example, uses it to walk through walls in order to reach Harry, and he steals her because Kalar draws him to her and urges him to take her back to Damar. After the kidnapping, Korlath and his riders treat Harry with respect, which, great, I guess. 
Harry finds herself in a strange position. She is technically a captive in a strange land, but she's comfortable in this new place. It calls to her. They just took her deeper into the desert that she loved already. She's not locked up or hurt. She's treated as an honored guest who they just happened to kidnap. One night, seated with the king and his riders, she joins them in a ritual. Each takes a sip of magic water, which may or may not give them visions. Most, if they see anything, see something small. They see themselves on a horse, or in a battle, or at home. Harry takes a sip and descends into a detailed vision of a small force riding to face a horde, a figure wielding a blue sword leading the charge. The only other person who has visions that strong is the king. Taking this as a pretty clear sign that Harry belongs among the hill folk, Corlath gets his riders to train her. He gets her a beautiful horse, and she rides off to learn fighting. At this point, she knows enough about the desert and how to survive and navigate it that she could leave if she wanted. She stays. She learns sword fighting and writing and more and more about Damar, about the land's history and the people. She loves it, and often forgets that she ever had another life. There's something so appealing about this kind of story. Not the kidnapping, that was still bad, but the idea of an out-of-place person finding the place they can belong and be part of a community. Harry finds that in Damar amongst the hillfolk. She participates in their fighting tournament and becomes a king's rider. She wields the blue sword given to her by Corlath, and around the fire at night she sees a vision of Lady Aaron the Dragonslayer, who greets her with approval. Aaron now is a figure of legend. She occasionally appears to the people of Damar to offer help. More and more it seems that Harry belongs in Damar. The hillfolk are going to war, and Harry, now a king's rider, goes with them. The demon king in the north is marching his army toward them. Harry, as a close friend and king's rider, has tried many times to convince Corlath to return to Homeland and ask again for aid. She's convinced that she can help them come to an agreement as someone who understands both sides. The demon army they ride against is too much for the hillfolk to fight alone. Corlath, blinded by his wounded pride, refuses. I don't really blame him. The first meeting was really bad. Harry, however, has her vision again, featuring the blue sword and a narrow mountain pass where an army could sneak up on them. Denied permission, Harry sneaks off to do what she believes is right. Wow. Who does that remind us of? Aaron. It reminds us of Aaron. Harry finds a small group of allies in Homeland, and she even finds some ancient forgotten Damarian allies who join her. She takes her small troop to defend the mountain pass, but when they arrive, they find half of the demon army arrayed against them, and the demon king leading them. 
Far away, Korlath will be facing the other half of the demon army and won't be able to send any reinforcements, even if they could get a message to him. Miraculously, her small band holds off the army for several days. They're just holding off the inevitable, though. And when it seems that they will be overwhelmed, Harry is drawn away from the battle by a mysterious feeling. A feeling kind of like the Kalar that drove Korlath to kidnap her months and months ago. Standing over the battlefield, she raises the blue sword to the sky and, using its magic, brings a landslide down on the demon army, burying them beneath the rocks. She has a vision or a dream of Aaron who congratulates her and warns her that it's not easy to be a living legend. Damar is safe, the demon army defeated on both fronts, Harry and Korlath get married. McKinley tends to be subtle with her romances, and this is a nice one, despite the kidnapping. Once again, despite the way this turns out, I feel compelled to say that kidnapping is a bad way to begin a relationship. With Harry's help, Damar and Homeland actually start diplomatic talks and become allies. She drags Korlath along and lives a long and happy life among the people and in the land she loves so much. My final word on the blue sword. If you liked The Hero in the Crown, you'll definitely like this. It's good. I've actually yet to read a McKinley book that I don't like. I do have a further thought here at the end. Homeland is basically the British Empire, and I don't mean that as a compliment. They rename towns because the town's actual names are too hard to pronounce. They think the locals are backward. They try in every situation to take advantage of the hillfolk until the very end, when the hillfolk are united and a homelander is queen. Harry is part Damarian, and she adopts the culture entirely, but it still strikes me a little like a white savior storyline, which is distressingly prevalent in fantasy. And I want to say that when I take a moment at the end to point out problematic narrative choices or character traits, I don't do it to condemn the book or author. Like I said, I did really enjoy this book. I just hope that my bringing it up will inspire you to be thoughtful about what you read. I think you can like something and still acknowledge that it has flaws, and that's a healthier attitude than believing that whatever you read or like is perfect and beyond reproach. If you want more media like this, read Seanan McGuire's Every Heart a Doorway which is a lovely novella about finding a world you love and can belong to. And that's a wrap. Join me next time to hear about Uprooted by Naomi Novik. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.